You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. On this weekend show, we have advice from the experts about how to plan and save for retirement. With the holidays behind us, how do we get back on track in terms of our personal finances? And with tax season just around the corner, how will new tax laws affect your returns? These stories are coming up. But we begin with the highlights from the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Afwaba with the Tech Talk. Technology journalist and author Mark Saltzman joins us on the feed to share some of the highlights, wacky gadgets, and more from the 2019 Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Mark, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Mark, tell us about some of the technology from the show. Right, so this is the 52nd annual CES, or Consumer Electronics Show, where you get a glimpse into the future of the, the tech space, and, and consumer electronics specifically, not so much business tech. So there's always a few standout trends every year, and uh, this year, for one, uh, I would say huge TVs that are uh, featuring the next generation in uh, resolution, which is called 8K. So right now, if you go to your big box electronics store, and you want to uh, pick up a top-of-the-line TV, it'll likely be what's called 4K, four times the resolution of HD. So we're seeing here numerous 8K TVs. So this is obviously coming down the road. There's not even a lot of 8K content to consume on it, but we're talking more dots or pixels that make up the image. Uh, so in plain English, just an absolutely beautiful, jaw-dropping picture and bigger screens too, up to 98 inches in, in many cases from the likes of Sony and Samsung and LG. So, yeah, the TV space here is really competitive and just jaw-dropping visuals. Uh, They have some cool technologies like um, surround uh, sound coming out of the screen itself. The audio actually emits out of the screen. Um, So there's some really neat stuff here. Glasses-free 3D, um, smart TV platforms. Interestingly, Apple has uh, joined forces with Samsung to to provide iTunes uh, apps inside of smart TVs from their competitor, Samsung. So that was interesting to see here at the show. Wow. Okay. I didn't see that one coming. I didn't see that that collaboration yeah. would happen. And um, 98-inch screens? <laughs> Do we even need to yeah, go to the movie theaters probably, anymore? Well, need, need in, in air quotes is obviously very subjective. No, <laughs> we don't need a, we don't need a 98-inch TV. But I think these, these tech companies are trying to show what's possible. Um, we don't even know pricing. I mean, CES is not about what's coming out tomorrow, but what's coming out in uh, 6, 12, 18 months or even uh, after that. So, you know, we'll know more about pricing later, but the idea is just to show that it's possible. Um, LG, actually, speaking of LG, they also had a rollable TV here at the show. So it's an OLED television. That's the name of the screen technology that's bendable. So they had, it kind of looks like a, a box, like a horizontal box that you would have on your floor, uh, on the floor of your, say, family room. Uh, and you may have a drink coaster on it or something. But when you press a button or you use your voice to wake it up, the screen actually rolls out of this box to, to, to create a, a big screen uh, 8K uh, television. So that's kind of neat, a rollable TV, just to show they can do it. Is it practical? Is it 
a, a nice to have versus a need to have. You know, obviously that's it's just to show that the technology is is workable, but it's not commercially available yet. And I already want it. 2019 isn't over, but I want it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if it comes out in 2019. Come like LG said, it is. Also from LG, this is a little off topic from TVs, but they had uh, a beer maker for the home. It's kind of like um, kind of like an espresso or Keurig for coffee, but this uh, is a, a craft beer maker that, that takes pods, and uh, it is meant to create about five liters of beer in 17 days. So it's like a home kit, but uh, has been perfected by LG. It's called the LG Homebrew, by the way, and it's a self-cleaning tabletop machine. And the idea is that, yeah, you pick your favorite uh, kind of beer, like Pilsner, IPA, Pale Ale, Wheat, or Stout, and uh, you buy the you know the proper uh, disposable um, cup, if you will, and then you put that in the uh, like that pod, and then it makes that beer for you. And that's everything from the fermentation process, the carbonation to aging. Uh, but, uh, you know, you don't really think of LG when you when you think of the word beer, but uh, <laughs> uh, anything goes at CES. So home entertainment is big, small appliances and, and large appliances, too, that have a lot of tech. The smart home is another trend, I would say, is here, at, you know, is here at the show. Wow. Okay, so you have rollable TVs. You got your beer brewing system at home now. Um, you got 8K, 98 inches. Okay, so a lot of home entertainment things that are, are really being improved on. What about um, anything uh, to do with, of course, our driving technology? Anything new uh, that would be associated with cars? Yeah, great, great question. In fact, CES is an acronym for Consumer Electronics Show. But the running joke here at, at uh, the convention is that CES is now starting to stand for Car Electronics Show because it is becoming very much an automotive show where all the big car makers are here showing us their wares uh, because there is a lot more tech under the hood, whether it's alternative fuel, uh, things like, you know, electric cars or biodiesel or other alternatives to uh, regular gas combustion engine uh, or even a hybrid to things like built-in uh, 4G or soon 5G hotspots. So next generation wireless technology that you can join as a passenger uh, or stream your favorite music content while driving to things like um, safety technologies, uh, sensors and, and radar and sonar and, and LIDAR that is all in, in the, uh, I should say, not sonar, but radar and LIDAR can detect, you know, any obstacles and navigate around them. So this year, uh, Lyft, which is uh, in Toronto now, it's in the GPA and York region, uh, is, is like a competitor to Uber. And when I got out of a Lyft vehicle here in Vegas and I, I gave a tip to the driver, a pop-up screen on my phone said, would you like a self-driving uh, ride from Lyft while you're here to, you know, tap to get consent? So I opted in. I haven't heard from Lyft yet, but I have experienced self-driving cars here at CES. Last year, I was in a BMW that was driving me around this trip with no human driver. Uh, and even we saw a uh, motorcycle from BMW this year that was driving on two wheels with no with no driver, just to show that it's possible. Um, so, yeah, it'd be, it'd be, it's a very apt question about uh, car electronics because that is something we see a lot of here. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I can only imagine what we're going to be seeing on the roads in the near future. Okay, so we've heard about uh, the latest uh, tech technology that's going to be coming with cars and, of course, with home entertainment. Anything with uh, maybe with drones? I know drone activity has been um, in the news for, uh, for quite a long time now, so it's quite common. Anything new that's going to be happening with that? DJI is one of the biggest uh, drone companies in the world, and they're showing a few different things, um, you know, uh, greater distances, better camera technology, adding things like um, uh, heat sensing technology from a company called FLIR. So this is like a heat signature using, uh, you know, a special uh, 
chip in the lens that uh, in the camera that can it's more for commercial applications looking for heat signatures uh, of things that people if you're maybe trying to find a, lo- a lost child in the forest kind of thing the drone can fly overhead and look for uh, heat signatures so it's kind of neat i haven't seen anything like um you know radically different and you kind of hinted at that in your question it's a lot more evolutionary than revolutionary i'd argue you know, most of the folks here that are interested in, in drones would be more hobbyists rather than for those commercial applications that I talked about. So we're, we're seeing, you know, greater distances, smarter AI technology, artificial intelligence. When it detects that it's uh, running low on battery, it's going to turn around and fly back to you. If it detects it's flying too far away from its user, it'll turn around and fly back to you. It knows to not go near government buildings and uh, border crossings and national parks and and stadiums and other uh, major public places. So that's to protect, uh, you know, the general public. So we're going to see more and more of that over the years. And this is, this is the place where you see a lot of the, the again, the consumer stuff more than you would the, the business application. What was maybe one thing for <laughs> yeah. you that was maybe really unbelievable for you to see? Well, even though it wasn't operational, I would say the flying car that's here from, uh, a company called uh, Bell and uh, not Bell Canada, it was a different company. Uh, and they have a, a, a flying car prototype that everybody's walking around and taking pictures of. It's a pretty wild stuff. Again, we're not talking uh, anything that's working. I'd be very impressed if it actually can take me into the sky. But Uber apparently has uh, signed up to have air taxis by mid-2020s with Bell's hybrid electric flying car uh, that they've got here at the show. So it's supposed to be the same body with a few, maybe a few tweaks between now and, and five years from now. But the, the idea is that it can carry up to 600 pounds. It's going to be powered by a hybrid electric engine, uh, which allows for longer flights. Um, you know, this is uh, the kind of stuff that we're seeing here at the show. It's on the ground, unfortunately, but uh, very cool technology to see. A, you know, the, the kid in me, uh, as you said, I, I get very excited about this for sure. But the kid in me is, is you know, excited about that kind of stuff, flying cars, self-driving cars, and domestic robots, you know, that are also here at the show. So no shortage of cool stuff here at the 2019 Consumer Electronics Show. So it's the Jetsons finally coming to life. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, exactly. Move over, George Jetson. Here we come. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so then when will we see these um, everyday consumer items actually in the stores? And maybe what would be the cost? Yeah, so it depends on uh, what uh, what tech is, uh, that we're talking about here. Some will be out in a few months. Some will uh, be out in a few years. Some will never come out. I mean, frankly, this happens all the time. We call that vaporware where a company shows something really cool and we all get, you know, the journalists get excited about it, but then it never sees the light of day for one reason or another. The, the, the company goes under, you know, they lose funding or it's just not commercially viable um, or it's just not a good idea. Uh, you know, so I, I've seen this over the years, whether it's smell-o-vision or uh, yesterday I saw a $7,000 toilet that uh, uses Alexa voice control. I don't, I think that's just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so to answer your question, it's very hard to answer your question because some products will never come out. And if they do, it could be, you know, a uh, $10 pair of headphones uh, that made its debut at CES, or it could be a uh, $200,000 TV that's best in class. So it really depends on what we're talking about here. No easy answer there. Relating it to the everyday consumer items like the home beer brewing machine and maybe the rollable TV, could we be seeing that in the near future? Yeah, both should be 2019. LG did stop short of saying that that homebrew machine would be sold in Canada, but I did remind them that Canadians like their beer and that this is something that they should seriously consider. But sometimes there's other factors at play. They want to assess the size of the market, 
kind of language, uh, you know, translation they're going to have to do on the packaging and then the marketing, and they weigh those kinds of things. Uh, licensing, because they're licensing the actual brew pods from another company. Uh, is there any, you know, conflicts when it comes to patents or trademarks and in the name and all that, it, it's from one country to the next. So they would start, they would not confirm it's coming to Canada. But the rollable TV, they said it, it will. But, you know, I did see it last year as well, so I'm not going to hold my breath. But, uh, you know, some of these other uh, TV companies like Samsung and Sony do promise that those 98-inch uh, 8K TVs will come out over the next uh, few months in, in Canada. All right, giving us the latest uh, updates on what we can expect from the technology world. Mark Saltzman, thank you for joining us on the feed. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Our next few stories are about managing our personal finances. Jim Lang is next with the 2019 changes to the tax laws, which could affect your returns. Here it is, 2019. It's a new year. It's a new month. We're into January. But also that means there's new changes for you and everyone else in Canada when it comes to income tax. So talk more about how these changes implemented in 2019 affect you and your family. Thrilled to be speaking to an H&R Block senior tax expert, Lisa Gittins. Lisa, how are you? I am great this morning. Good to hear you. Oh, pleasure, pleasure. Uh, there's so much we as the average Canadians don't know about taxes. Thank goodness for H&R Block because there is a real mystery around it. I, why is that that we still are so shrouded in mystery about what we can do, what we can't do? One of the reasons for that mystery is the constant changes. It's not something that we learned about 20 years ago and it's constantly refreshed the same thing. Every year, there's some type of change, whether it's a a massive change or a small change in just a tax rate. Every year, it's constant changes for us, and we must keep up to date. That's what my job is. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I'm speaking to you today, Lisa, because I know for families and parents, a parental leave and parental sharing of benefits in EI, it's a big thing, and it impacts all families. And there is a change to that this year, is there not? There is. There's a very big change, and it's a very good change. But again, most parents, uh, especially new parents, may not be aware. So when you become a parent in Canada, we have now, as of the new 2018 budget, allowed parents to take an additional five weeks of time off Um, And that's starting in March of 2019. So if you have a new baby in 2019 and you are wanting to take the time home, you have an extra five weeks which you can share with your partner. And that means for you as a couple, you're getting to keep more money in your pocket. Your benefits are going to be extended for a longer period of time, more nurturing time for that child. That's interesting. Now, I, I know um, I, I have parents who are senior citizens. My wife does as well. And we have an aging senior population in the province and in the country. So I, I was interested to find out that more medical expenses can be claimed. Correct. Now, this is interesting because this, a lot of medical expenses are overlooked as they are. People don't even claim the basic ones available. But we have, as you said, an aging population. We also have a lot of persons in Canada who are um, suffering with mental impairments. And the, the new credit that is on the table is for those Canadians with a severe mental impairment 
who can now claim the cost of a service animal. Now, this is an animal who has been specifically trained to help with tasks such as guiding a disoriented patient, searching the home before the patient enters if that patient suffers with anxiety, and aiding that patient in the home if they're experiencing night terrors. If you have a specifically trained animal, you can then claim the cost of that animal, the food, the vet care, travel expenses, and any additional things that you have to provide for that animal. That's fantastic because I know our kids are in high school and they have some friends that have service animals because of anxiety. I think this is a real game changer for a lot of Canadians, Lisa. I think it's a very big game changer uh, because... In the past, you didn't have this credit available and you didn't have this type of service. So now that the credit is there, it makes Canadians aware of what they can do, as you said, to assist a lot of their teenagers and young adults as well, but also for that aging population that doesn't have maybe a full-time attendant with them, they can now have the service animal and receive a credit on their taxes. Speaking with H&R Block, senior tax expert Lisa Gittens, and there's many changes for us as average Canadians and affecting everyone coast to coast in 2019. Uh, a few of them are quite interesting, and I didn't know about this, but for people in small businesses, the small business corporate tax rate is reduced, and that's going to put more money in the pocket of people who are operating and starting up small businesses. This is correct. Now, this is... Um this was a change that was previously announced, and we had some back and forth on it, but we know for certain for 2018, the small business corporate tax rate is reduced from 10.5% to 10%. That's the rate for 2018, and in 2019, it will be reduced even further to 9%. Now, for a small business, especially if you're just starting up in 2018, this is great news for you. 5% may not sound like a lot, but when you look at it, the equipment and things that you're purchasing over time and how your overall budget changes, that makes a big difference at the end of the year. Now, something I was not aware about, Lisa, is something called the home relocation load. And there's going to be a change to that this year. Explain that for people who are not sure about that. Well, okay, so that's an interesting point. So the home relocation loan, what that was is if you lived in Canada and you had to move within Canada or move for work purposes, so your employer may be uh, relocating and you are now having to sell your home and do all of this, what your employer could do was give you a loan and that loan, the amount of that loan would be reported on your T4 slip oh. in what is uh, a box 37. So here's the amount of the loan the employer gave you to make the move so that you could keep your job. On your taxes, um, there was a specific line, 248, you would claim the amount of the loan as a tax deduction. So, yes, you receive that income, but you would effectively not be paying tax on it. What's going to happen now is that uh, the home relocation loan, the deduction has been eliminated effective for the 2018 year. Okay. So that's going to be a big impact for a lot of people. 
it's a big impact, especially with the way our economy is with people constantly moving. I suspect, though, that um, employers who know about this uh, will be able will have had these discussions with their employees as to what other things they can do. Important for the average Canadian, you can still claim your moving expenses if this scenario fits you. So if you've had to move from one part of Canada to another or, you know, for work purposes, keep all of your expenses, the moving truck, the legal fees, all of these things because you can still claim your moving expenses on your returns. It's the loan that the employer gave you that will no longer be tax deductible as of 2018. And finally, Lisa, this is something that is, I mean, it's front of center to everybody across Canada is the environment and climate change. And there is a climate action incentive that will benefit Canadians who try to make a difference. This is true. Now, what we want to see is that this would be across Canada, right now, this climate change plan that has been effective, and it will affect us when we file our 2018 return, will be specifically for residents in New Brunswick, in Ontario, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan. Hmm. So when these uh, individuals file their return, they're going to receive a tax credit It will be called the Climate Action Incentive. And basically, throughout 2018, um, or beginning April 2019, really, you are going to start to see added costs when you go to the pump. Okay. You're going to pay an extra charge, a fuel charge. You're also going to see an extra charge on your fuel bills. But when you file that 2018 return, you are actually going to receive a credit on your tax return. And for those who are in Saskatchewan, it's an average credit of about $598. In New Brunswick, we expect that credit to be about $248, $300 for families in Ontario, and $336 in Manitoba. Excellent. Uh, speaking with H&R Block senior tax expert Lisa Gittins. Lisa, I know people are listening to this and, and learning a lot, everything you explained. If they have questions and want to get a hold of you and your staff at H&R Block, how can they go about that? We have offices all across Canada, about 1,200 locations. There's an H&R Block office in your neighborhood. So you can go online, which is www.hrblock.ca. And once you go to the website, there is a map that you can Google and put in your postal code. It shows you the location right in your neighborhood. Walk in and ask questions. Our offices are opening up across Canada right now. Beautiful. Lisa, thank you so much for your time and educating myself and all our listeners. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. Just remember, there will always be changes. (laughs) And the best thing you can do is ask the right questions. Great point. Take care, Lisa. Have a great day. Take care.
This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. We continue our conversations about your money next with a new global survey by HSBC, which found that Canadian women worry they won't have enough money for medical and care expenses in their retirement years. Joining us to discuss these findings and so much more is Cindy Wong, Head of Retail Banking and Wealth Management Marketing at HSBC Canada. Cindy, welcome to the feed. Hi, Tina. Really excited to be here today. Can we begin with the basics of the survey? How many people participated and where did they live? Sure. The Future Retirement Survey is a world-leading independent research study and was commissioned by HSBC, and we look at retirement trends globally. Um, Around the world, we sample over 17,000 people of working ages over 21 years or in retirement in 16 countries, which includes Canada, Australia, Hong Kong, France, UK, and the U.S., We started this survey in about 2005, so this is our 15th report, and we surveyed over 195,000 people worldwide. So what did you find from women specifically here in Canada? Well, it's an interesting result because we know that women have largely closed the gap with men in terms of either higher education or workforce participation. But what we really found that was that we really need to close the gap in finances and planning for retirement to make sure we have equal comfort and security. We found the amazing fact was that, you know, one out of every two working age women is worried that they do not have enough money to cover medical or care expenses. And how do you start to close that gap? Because, you know, it can't be a quick fix. No, I think there's several things that we can do. I think the reality is that, again, women take time off from work to take care of children to raise their family. So right now, 62% of working mothers um, take parental leave compared to just 22% of working fathers. So that means our earning potential is already reduced by a significant amount by over 25% of working women say they do not contribute as much financially towards retirement compared to men. So there's no magic formula, but there are several things that we can do to look at helping bridge that gap in terms of financial retirement. Okay, so let's talk about some of those things then. What can we start to do right now in our working years? What we we need to do is start thinking and planning ahead. Don't put it off, right? It really is, again, no magic formula, but really just make it a priority and make it a bit more fun. Some of the things you can do is reframing how you think about retirement. Again, don't put it off. Think of it as a chance to pursue your passions or have adventure. We often plan about our vacations and do it with excitement. We should have that same excitement about planning for retirement. And a really important thing to do is to really visualize the retirement that you want. Do you want to go traveling? Do you want to further your education, move a home, or even start a hobby, or even start a new business? Right now in our survey, we showed that 77% of women look forward to pursuing old and new hobbies and interests in retirement. And 58% of women view retirement as a time to really rediscover themselves. So have a broad idea what this looks like, what it's going to feel like, and it's going to really help you plan uh, for it more effectively. Now, what about consulting folks who are experts in this field? Can they help you to plan and, frankly, budget? No, absolutely. Nobody expects any you to be an expert in savings or investment. And I think it's like anything, like you go ask for help with because whether it's a lawyer or to fix your car. You really need to look at the experts. You can use online advice or seek professional advice to build your plan. Ask the questions, get clarity, don't assume anything, and, and just feel free to ask the questions that get the clarity, like I said. We move, you really have to also move from planning, from managing your expenses and managing your finances, making sure that you actually start planning for your retirement. Um, Plan for how much and what you can save. Look at tools in terms of saving calculators and budgeting apps. Really look at how you can change and the things that you can do to impact your savings to help you for the future. 
a big part of it is also don't afraid to do it alone. So many women in retirement um, rely on their spouse's income or their pension. Go get financial advice. Get start now. Start a separate saving pot. Um, how many women right now um, don't even have their own credit card? It's easy to start and rely on yourself, taking care of yourself, and just starting that financial independence now. And I think, Cindy, when we talk about retirement, you know, we have the this idealized version of what retirement might be. But sometimes there are surprises along the way. Um, there are difficult times along the way. And part of the study was finding that women were not prepared for medical and care expenses. How do you prepare for something like that? What do you do? Well, I don't think you can prepare for something where you don't know what's going to happen. I think the only thing you can do is really start preparing and getting your finances in order and making sure you have the financial um, financial in terms of um, financial planning done to make sure you can take care of yourself. You're absolutely right. 51% of working women don't know how much they're saving for retirement or they even haven't started at all, right? And, and 38% of women don't know what proportion of their pre-retirement income they would need for a financially comfortable retirement. I mean, if you don't even know what it is that you're looking for, how much you need to save, it's really tough to plan for any surprises or anything that may happen in the future. So the key thing is just get yourself educated, know what you need to do, and start planning ahead and doing it early. And how early are we supposed to start? Because I think that uh, when we start thinking about retirement, for many of us, it is a little late in the game, maybe not in our prime earning years. When should we start thinking and planning and budgeting for retirement? Well, not even just retirement. I think anybody, including women, should start um, planning and investing for the future as soon as they can. The power of compounding has been proven. The earlier you start, the more results that you'll get. So I don't think it's any, I don't think there's no magic time, but I do think the earlier the better. And the fact that if you can put it in people's thoughts and start thinking about it, I think sooner the better. That's what we always say. Cindy, I'm going to take our listeners back to the survey and some of the retirement basics. And in this survey, there was a section about uh, fears of women of working age, um, not only linked to their own long-term health fears, but what about if the worst happened and their partner passed away? How do they plan for those events in their lives? Yeah, women generally do live longer than men, so we need a higher reserve for retirement. And like I said, we already take parental leave, so we're starting off with less income. Uh, so I think the idea, again, is starting early, plan ahead, visualize what you need, and just be prepared. Because I think not being able to understand what you're planning for or not even starting or not even knowing whether you have a plan is going to be the main downfall. It's going to be just being aware, being um being prepared and just kind of starting sooner and later. And when we are planning and budgeting, should we visualize having the same kind of lifestyle we have during our working years or are we supposed to start to compromise and cut back? No, I don't think anybody should compromise. I think, again, it goes back to retire. During retirement, you should really visualize what it is that you want. Some people actually start a whole new business during retirement. So it's understanding what that is. And for some, it is downsizing and for some it is um, not having the same lifestyle because they don't want to live the same way but for others it really is having a different lifestyle so if you can visualize what it is that you want and really understand what it is that you want and then you need to plan and manage accordingly. 
This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. We're speaking with Cindy Wong, Head of Retail Banking and Wealth Management Marketing at HSBC Bank of Canada. Cindy, where can our listeners get more information and perhaps some advice on how to plan for retirement? Sure. The full report is available on our website at hsbc.ca. We have a page dedicated to future retirement, or you can contact one of our branches, HSBC Bank Canada, and we can put you in contact with the right person to help you get on your financial foot. Some good advice. Thanks for joining us on the feed. Thank you very much, Tina. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and this is The Feed. If your credit card and household budget took a hit over the holidays, this next story may help get you back in the black. The presents have been delivered, the decorations and euphoria of the holidays have more or less left us, and now comes the credit card bills and the personal bank statements. How do you get your personal finances in order post-Christmas? Here to give us some practical tips is personal finance expert Robin Thompson. Robin, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Okay, not a problem. Now, we're now starting to see the credit card bills come in, personal uh, bank statements, and the color from our faces might seem a little bit pale because it might seem that the, the funds aren't uh, as much as they were before Christmas. So um, if you could help us out with some tips as to how we can get our finances in order. Absolutely. Well, I think that the first thing I, w- I would take a look at is you need to actually open those statements. So when you get the statements that come in from the credit card companies and your bank statements, you need to open them and take a good look at what they say. You know, you can't put your head in the sand. You need to be accountable for what you've been spending, for the money that you've occurred on your, either on your credit card or your loans or your lines of credit. Um, you need to have an understanding of how you're spending and why you're spending. So, for instance, if you're using credit cards to make a major purchase, such as a maybe electronics or if you're looking for entertainment or perhaps you're buying a furniture or a, a more needed expense, then those are different than things that are more discretionary, such as entertainment and meals and nightings out. So we have to understand, first of all, what are your personal spending habits? And if you're racking up debt based on the fun habits and not the essential habits, then you need to start looking at how you can change that and, and be able to put some tools in place to manage what those expenses in your account looks like going forward. So the first thing I would do is look at the interest rate on those cards. So when you open up your statement and you look at your balance on your credit card, how much are you paying? Because they can range anywhere from 9 all the way up to 19%, which is really high. If you're making your monthly payments on a, on a regular basis at the bank of which you are required to do, you can call them in and negotiate that rate. If you're a loyal customer and, again, you have good credit, try to get that interest rate down because then you'll pay less money on what you owe because of the interest rate. I'd also recommend making a, an extra lump sum payment on, that, on the highest rate card above the monthly payment because that's going to go directly towards principal and start to eat away some of that debt. So why then do we bury our heads in the sands? Um, for let's say maybe for those of us who are, are a little bit less stubborn, or um, yeah. <laughs> maybe for those who maybe just don't know, why could it probably hurt you later on, um, as opposed to just dealing with it now? People have some emotional attachment to their debt. So generally, when people have higher credit card debt, or they put themselves into a position where they're not necessarily making their monthly payments or having a hard time, they associate the bad decisions they've made in the past with where they are in the future. That's not going to help you. So I would take away the shame, take away the guilt, take away, I made this decision, this is where I am. You need to start from that point and look at the numbers and say, if I can start reducing some of this debt, if I can negotiate lower rates, if I can consolidate some of these into lower interest payments, I can get myself back on track 
because only then can you reduce your debt. But then you can also start to save. You can save for your future, your RSPs, your TSFAs, or even other things that you want to do within your life, whether it's travel or sending your kids to school. Sticking your head in the sand is going to give you the same result that you have right now because you're not doing anything different. It's simple. Simple as that. You're not doing anything different and it's just going to end up climbing up and then there's not going to be any more sand to bury your head in, basically. And and there are lots of options out there. So when you look at different ways to reduce the interest that you're paying, lines of credit, for instance, have a lower interest rate, about 7.5% right now. So if you look at the higher cards at 19% on a credit card scale to 7.5% on a line of credit, if you have enough available line of credit or apply for a line of credit, Take that at 7.5% and pay off the credit card because now you're paying that debt that you owed on the credit card at 7.5% versus the higher interest rate. So now you have that difference in amount of interest that you were paying going towards your debt that can now go to either paying down more of the principal on that debt or can go directly into savings. So there's many different options you can use out there to reduce the debt, get your spending back under control. And take some financial accountability. At the end of the day, it's our money. It's your money. And you're responsible for how you spend it and, and how you earn it and how you save it. So it's very important to be accountable for, for, for what you spend and, and how you spend. And believe it or not, I actually have people that I know that have taken their credit cards and put them in freezers. They'll freeze their credit cards. <laughs> they'll throw them back behind their appliances. So they can't get to them easily to prevent themselves from spending. Nice. Okay. So um, you just mentioned that one of the options is a, a line of credit. What other, what other options are available? available to um, residents out there? Well, if you are a bit more of a spendthrift or you have a hard time sticking to a budget, as some people do, budget tends to have a bad connotation, meaning you're not allowed to spend on discretionary items, but you are, of course. You could look at loan consolidation. So if you went into your financial institution and you asked for a loan, what you'd be doing is taking out a personal loan. So what that means is you could amalgamate all of your debt into one loan, which would be for a fixed period. So over that fixed period, the loan officer would put together a payment plan for you that could afford at a specific interest rate. Those are harder to um, assess because they're very personal. So usually the rates of interest are probably anywhere from 8 to 11%. You wouldn't want to go above 11% because, again, you want to make sure you're keeping that into a lower interest rate. They'll put a payment together schedule for you, and it'll go for a specific period of time. In that case, you're lowering your monthly payment, but you don't have access to that credit once you're paying back the loan because it's a one-time purpose. The key here is to not go and take the money that you have available on your card and run it up again because then then you have a double whammy. So you need to make Mm -hmm. sure if you're going to go with a secured way, lower your payments, pay that on time, but don't rack up your credit card. Okay, that is a really good tip there as well. And I don't think a lot of people know about a loan consolidation. So that was really good that you brought that up there. We are in the digital age now where everything is so easy to purchase. What maybe tips can you give us in terms of um, keeping ourselves away from the from the digital temptation? Well, the first thing is to go back to basics. Go back and figure out what is my budget? How much do I earn? How much do I owe? What is my disposable income that I have to be able to make different purchases online if they are discretionary purchases? So, because you can essentially clack, you know, tap or click or swipe or, you know, check in, check the cart and then check out. So it's very easy to spend money online. But, and you can spend money online provided that you have the disposable income that you can use to spend the money online and you're not borrowing to do it. I would suggest that perhaps you disable some of your apps that have automatic attached to your credit card so that you need to go back in and enter your credit card information into the box where it asks for payment. So you're intentionally making the purchase. It's just not a reactionary purchase to 
I think I want to have this, or my son deserves this, or my daughter deserves this, or my husband would love this. Make an intentional decision with your finances. Make purchases that are aligned with what your goals are. And then you can click and tap if you prefer to. But make sure you're not doing an impulse. Because at the end of the day, the money is going to rack up if you don't have it. Cash is king. Cash is cash. If the cash is out of your wallet or it's out of your bank account and there's no more to spend, then you're not going to be tempted. You just need to make sure you put some parameters around what that looks like. And it's as simple as that. Wow, you make it seem great. I, I even I want to go look at my my bank statements now. <laughs> Listen, it's not it's not insurmountable. You just have to take the shame away, take the guilt away. Start from scratch. This is where you are. Look at it from a financial perspective, and then put a plan together. And that's really why people stick their head in the sand because they're like, oh, I can't believe I did that, or I shouldn't have done that. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. It's the past. Leave it there. You can start now and move forward and make a difference and you can really make a change in your life. If you use some of these small tips, and these are not unrealistic tips, you just need to make sure that you're willing to negotiate, you're willing to stand up for yourself, stand up for your finances, stand up for your money. It's your money. You get to choose how you spend it and how you credit it. Couldn't have said it better myself. Robin, where can we go (laughs) to get more information from you if somebody needs help and they just don't know where to start, even though this is a great place to start, um, but they want to contact you, where can they go? Um, They can go to my website, so castlemarkwealth.com. You also want to look for someone who's a certified financial planner. Make sure that the people are getting your advice from are certified to be able to give you the right type of advice. So uh, castlemarkwealth.com essentially is my website, um, and I'm sure we can find me through the region as well. Robin, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and helping all of us uh, do the best that we can to get on the right financial track for 2019. (laughs) You're so welcome. Anytime. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com for replay. At the beginning of a new year, so many of us make resolutions to get healthy, make better financial decisions, and spend more time with family and friends. This is also the busiest time of year for lawyers and divorce mediators because large numbers of couples across the country decide to separate. Heather Good with How to Minimize the Negative Impacts of Divorce, Both Mentally and Financially. Tell me about Positive Solutions Divorce Services. What is it? So Positive Solutions Divorce Services is a mediation company, and we the, the services that we provide are um, mediation services to clients that are going through a separation. So instead of them having to each hire their own separate lawyers, they can sit down with uh, a mediator in, in the same room and have a discussion on how they are going to divide up their property, how they're going to co-parent their children going forward. Um, If there's going to be child and spousal support, we would do up those calculations. So it's really an amicable way to separate. Why did you start this up? Um, I went through my own very nasty separation. And at the time, we had four minor, minor children and it totally devastated our family. So we went through the court process, through lawyers, and it went on for years. And it really ruined our family unit. Mm. And I, it, was, it was stressful. It was time-consuming. It was expensive. And I figured there, there had to be another way. 
there absolutely had to be a different way. And what could I do to to help other families that were going through the same situation to stay out of that nasty um, court process and and help to kind of keep as much as much as possible keep their sanity and keep the money the the money in their own pockets so they could fund their children's university education. It wasn't going to lawyers to fund their children's university mm-hmm. education. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What does it do? What? So let's look at just the one part. What does it do to children when parents go through a divorce, but but go through a divorce that that I guess, if for lack of a better word, is nasty? What does that do to kids? Mm-hmm. It it is probably the worst experience that children can go through. Without um, without the death of a parent, the divorce of parents is probably the worst experience that they can go through. Um, it, in in the situation that they are constantly fighting, um, but is an alternative, which mm-hmm. is mediation. Mm-hmm. So mediation it brings the clients together to be able to talk about what's in the best interest for them and the best interest for their kids. So it reduces the conflict between the parents, in which ultimately um, gets back to the kids. You know, it hurts the kids when the parents are fighting when the parents can't come to an agreement on uh, whether the children are going to stay with dad for Christmas or whether whether they're going to go to mom's Mm -hmm. for Christmas. Um, And it's, and it's just, it literally rips them in half because Mm. they love both parents. Yeah. You know, they don't want to choose sides. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times the kids are put in the middle. The kids are made to make decisions. Do you want to live with your dad? Do you want to live with your mom? You know, that's a very, very tough question for a child to answer. So when so when a couple goes, a couple is going to get a get a divorce or separate or, or get, guess get a divorce, and they and they start this process. What change do you see from when they first started to when they go through the whole, whole process? What's the change that you see as as um, being a mediator for these couples? The it really depends on the situation. And it depends on where they are in the process. Mm, okay. So couples that are coming to us, um, because we're a private mediation company, we are not associated with the courts. So there are a lot of couples that call us because they don't want to fight. They don't want to get into the court process. They don't want to hire expensive lawyers. So they call us. So the majority of those clients are pretty amicable. The ones that are coming from the court process that have been with lawyers for three, four, five years, um, they've been to, they've been in front of a judge. Um, you know, they've had to, they've had to tell the judge what a bad person the other parent is. Those people that are coming to us are extremely, extremely adversarial. Mm, okay. So they, you know, they've gone through the turmoil of of court, and it's and it's ripped their families apart. So they're coming to us very adversarial. Um, what I find through mediation is it gives them a safe environment to be able to have the discussions that they have not had before. Okay. So a lot of times if they, if they are coming adversarial, um, we can kind of change that around a little bit because they start listening to each other. They start having the discussions together about what they want. Okay. Um, 
So when you are now, one thing first, I guess first of all, what is the cost? If someone is going to get a divorce, what can we were talking? You were talking a little bit before about the financial hardship and implications. What can it cost to go through a divorce? If they go through the legal system, if they each hire a lawyer and they end up going to court, it can cost tens of thousands of dollars. I have had clients that have come back to me after spending $60,000 with their lawyers each, and they don't have a separation agreement. They don't have, they've never been to court, and it's five years later. Mm, wow. So their relationship is, is totally done. Um, coming through mediation for a full package, so we, we design packages that are in the best, that, that suit the client's needs. So if they have children or if they have property, if they need child and spousal support calculations completed. So we customize packages for, for designed for what the clients need. Mm. The, the most that a client would pay for one of those packages is $3,600 per person. That is the cost of a retainer fee to hire a lawyer. Okay. That's just the retainer yeah, fee. Yeah, yeah. So they're looking at every email, every phone call, every meeting, every time they step into the court, that money is increasing. Okay. So they're paying more and more and more. So to have all of their mediation done and all of the documents that they need, they're looking at a maximum of thirty-five dollars to $3,600. Okay. Yeah. And it's less for people that don't have as much. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it can be a big expense. Now, I guess the new, the news sort of angle of this, which was kind of sad when I read it, but January 7th is, um, the kind of the date it's considered divorce day when people start separating or divorcing. Let's just talk about yes, that a little bit. Why? Why that day? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because when I talk to some of the, the people that call, um, on the, the first Monday after, after uh, New Year's, I'll, I'll quite uh, quite often just make a comment, oh, is this your New Year's resolution? And, you know, they'll laugh a little bit. But a lot of it is just that they've made the decision that they don't want to go through another year in a miserable relationship. So they've made the re- resolution that that's it, I'm done, we're going to start this process. But also they want to get through the holidays. Okay. They don't want their kids to have to, to go through Christmas and um, uh, that that fun special time without both parents being in the same room. And do you so they tend to hold off a little bit until after Christmas? Okay. And do you find that more couples are leaning towards mediation than going to than just going through a lawyer? Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, it's still a fairly new concept in. Uh, f- for what people are are used to, um, the first thing that people think about when they're they're going to separate is, oh, I have to contact my divorce lawyer. We're trying to change that. We want to we want people to say the first thing that I need to think about is co- is is contacting someone for a positive solution. Hence, positive solutions divorce services. We need to get the word out that there is another option besides the adversarial divorce process. Mm -hmm. And so once people realize that that there's an amicable option, 
they are they're, they're tending to start looking. They want to keep the money in their own pockets. They don't want to fight with their, their spouses. Um, they are the next generation of, of divorcing people who have had to do it in a really nasty way. And they don't want to put their kids through the same thing that they were put through as children. Right, exactly. exactly. Now, if people, um, if people are, are going to be going through this, where can they reach you? How can they get in touch with you? So we have a website. It's called positivesolutions.ca. We have 33 locations across Ontario. Um, so they can click on our website. They can click on the locations page on our website, and they can find a location that's nearest, nearest them. If they click on one of the links to a location that's nearest them, them, they will see the address and a phone number that they can contact us from that area. Bev Lewis from Positive Solutions Divorce Services. Thank you for joining us. I'm Heather Good for The Feed. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including a trip to Richmond Hill. Well, winter is here with a vengeance in York Region, but with the cold weather comes great opportunities for people to make the most of all the great facilities we have at our disposal. Thrilled to be speaking to the Recreation Assistant for Skating in the Rex and Culture Division of Richmond Hill, Paul Collins. Paul, how are you doing, my friend? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, no problem, Paul. I mean, Richmond Hill has so many great outlets for people who want to do recreational skating with family or friends or just on their own. It's It really is a, an amazing number of facilities from the Elvis Stoico Arena to the skating trail. Absolutely. Um, the town of Richmond Hill offers, uh, as you mentioned, uh, numerous options for people to skate, uh, both indoor and outdoor. Now, other than the skating trail, what other outdoor arenas do you have at your disposal in Richmond Hill that people can check out? Um, other than the skate trail, we also operate the, uh, the Mill Pond, uh, which is a natural out, uh, ice surface, open weather permitting. That's located at 321 Mill Street in Richmond Hill. Um, and just a reminder for everyone taking part of our outdoor skating, we do uh, recommend people do check the ice conditions as well as the posted signs before skating. Now, for people for who aren't sure, what is the proper technique to check ice conditions to make sure it is safe to go on something like Mill Pond? Um, I would just take a quick peek. Um, if you can see any visual um, movement of any water, um, if, if you see any, you know, maybe uh, any, any holes in the ice um, ah, at, right, at right. any point, I would not go on the ice. Um, but the best way is to check the, uh, the, the posted signage, which is posted by, by town staff. Speaking with Paul Collins, who's a recreational assistant for skating for Richmond Hill. And Paul, I mean, family skating, I guess it's one of the most iconic Canadian things. Let's go for a skate with the family. I know there are different times that are geared towards minor hockey, uh, men's hockey. Are there better times than others for people looking for recreational skating in Richmond Hill? Uh, yeah, we do have drop-in recreational skating throughout the week and weekend. As you mentioned, uh, skating is a great family activity, a great way to get out, keep active, exercise, and have fun. Uh, perfect for the whole family. Uh, our drop-in recreational skates are open to participants of all ages. Uh, we offer indoor skating at all five of our fantastic arenas here in Richmond Hill. Uh, Tom Graham Arena is located at the Richmond Green. Elgin Barrow Arena is at Young and Major McKenzie. Uh, Elvis Stoico Arena, as you mentioned, is at Young and 16th Avenue. 
Ed Sackfield Arena is at 16th Avenue and Valley Mead, uh, and Bond Lake Arena is in Oak Ridges. Uh, we also offer uh, special uh, recreational skating times throughout the year uh, on PA days, March break, uh, as well as family day, and a full list of our skating times, dates, and locations uh, is available at richmondhill.ca slash skating. Well, Paul, I'm a huge fan of the outdoor skating trail of Richmond Green. I've been on it a couple times, and just the whole setup with the lights and the trees and the, the heated little areas to change in, it's such a great setup. It really feels like you're skating in the country. Absolutely. The skate trail is uh, is a fantastic. We're going to get out and enjoy the winter uh, with some outdoor skating. Um, it's a beautiful 250-meter outdoor skating trail. Uh, features great scenery, heated change rooms, and lighting for evening skating. Uh, and the trail is located at 1300 Elgin Mills Road East, uh, right at the Richmond Green. Uh, it's free of charge, open daily between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m., open December through March, uh, weather permitting. And for current ice conditions, uh, people can call 905 771 5490, uh, and we do encourage everyone to come on out and take advantage of our fantastic skate trail here in Richmond Hill. And Paul, I, I had the opportunity, I was speaking to the Zamboni driver, the rink next to the trail, about how they groom it, and it really is a great science behind how they keep the ice so nice, because what I found skating on it is how smooth it is. Absolutely. Our staff do a fantastic job uh, taking care of the ice and tending it. Uh, they have the Zamboni out there. Um, so, the, as you say, the ice is, is, uh, is fantastic and incomparable to an indoor rink. Absolutely. Paul Collins from Richmond Hill, thank you so much for your time. There are so many great opportunities for people to go recreational skating in Richmond Hill. At this time of year, there's no excuse to say, I'm bored. Get out there and enjoy what Richmond Hill has to offer. Thanks so much, Paul, and have a great winter. Absolutely. Same, same to you. Have a great day. Thank you so much. That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.